Hello and welcome to Cafe with Strangers. I'm your host, Moni. And before I get into today's very exciting mini-sode topic, um, well, at least I'm excited to talk about it, I wanted to give a couple of updates. Um, so last, not last week, <laughs> I released um, an episode for the first time after that little hiatus thing. Um, so if you weren't aware or you're not, if you're not following the podcast on Instagram, I had mentioned that I was going to be taking a bit of a break, an unknown amount of break because my dog got sick. Um, this is the scariest thing that I've gone through with her. It's been a really rough year with her. Um, and so emotionally it was very difficult. Uh, she was hospitalized for almost two and a half weeks and she is in a much better spot right now um being her her sassy little self but it was something that i did need to take some time away to focus on her um and so we're back i'm back i keep saying we it's just me for the most part it's just me that's why a lot of this stuff is very um immature so it's not only that going through that but um also transitioning into recently into another hospital and I am getting settled in. There's a lot going on in life. Like everyone is going through something in life. And so with work and dealing with personal stuff and the fact that I am only one person doing this for the most part. And I am also a bit of a perfectionist. I listen to every episode at least three times. And then the this is I think my third time <laughs> third or fourth time trying to record this minisode specifically. Um, with all of that, there's just a lot that ends up taking a long time for me. And so trying to balance out, still being able to come out with uh, an episode that is, I think is worth listening to, and also trying to keep a balance between personal and work and still try to be happy in the world that is nowadays i am going to be trying to do releasing these episodes on a more regular basis and by regular i mean probably twice a month because i think that is something that i can definitely work with in terms of having something that i would be able to release out to you guys and also be able to keep that you know work life hobby balance and stuff like that because, you know, life happens, but I'm going to try to be more consistent because I really do enjoy this. I am still, again, one person here. I am working through the kinks of what it means to have a podcast. Uh, if you, this is your first time listening to this. Hey, you came in um, during a good time. You've been here kind of since the beginning. Um, MVP, your real one. Having said that, I will still continue to be doing seasons. This season is going to be a mix of people telling their stories, the little longer episodes, but then also a combination of mix of these minisodes where I will be talking about something related to Latin American history. The first one was about Delia del Carril. If you don't know who that person is, you should go check out the episode because it's actually really fascinating to learn about this person if you're also into history, which I am. And so basically not only elevating the Latin voice, but anything, everything about us that has to do with being Latin American. Important people, facts, things that have happened, things that never got taught in school. 
things along the lines of that. And then I also do want to be able to provide resources and information about anything that people can be dealing with. And I am definitely going to be doing a lot of mental health. Like maybe kind of from the beginning, I've made mental health a priority in, in the podcast. So I will definitely continue to be um, talking about that and advocating for that. And somehow, whatever it is that I'm doing, I want it to be entertaining, but also at the same time, helpful beneficial um yeah i'm so very excited to talk about this mini-sode aztec mythology but there is so much what am i specifically talking about well the reason i got into this here is because i was doing uh research on a different mini-sode and this name came up and it kind of just dug me into a little bit uh what is that went to a rabbit hole. What is that phrase? That, that one phrase. I could not stop getting more and more and more information. I will probably most likely be doing more Aztec mythology somewhere down the line. But for now, I'm going to talk to you about Guadalajara, Coyosalqui, and Huitzilopochtli. Also, fair warning, a lot of this has a lot, um, there are a lot of words here from the, a lot from the Nahuatl language that I am very much so clearly not a native speaker of so i am going to probably mess up here and there um feel free to laugh at me i don't care i'm laughing at myself anyways so kwatlaque is a deity an earth goddess to the aztec she is a patron of childbirth and associated with warfare governance in agriculture and is considered one of the most fearsome figures the mythology behind this goddess is that one day she was on top of Cotepec, a sacred mountain, when a feather trickled down from the heavens, and when she made contact with it, it impregnated her. Now, depending on the source that you read, it'll, it'll either say it was a single feather or a ball of feathers. Some will say she made contact with it. Others say, other sources say she tucked it, tucked the feather feathers onto and into her skirt. But whatever version you come across, it was from this, the story of the almighty Aztec god of war was born. The story goes that Kuatlake's daughter, Coyoshalki, was furious over this, over her mom getting pregnant. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But she was furious over this, and so she gathered hundreds of, of her brothers, referred to as the Sinson Huitznawe. Together, they made their way over to the mountain with the intention of killing their mother. Different versions mention a son changing their, changing their mind, and other versions doesn't say anything like that. But somehow... They end up finding out the mom, Guadalupe, and so as the siblings are making their way up the mountain, Huitzilopochtli was born and from his mom and like fully grown as a warrior. In some versions, he emerges from his mom's severed neck, according to some versions. Again, there's a lot of information behind this. When he's born, he ends up ending the lives of his siblings. Goyoshalki was dismembered and decapitated by him and was tossed down Cotepec. Her head was tossed into the sky where it became the moon. The remaining brothers that survived escaped and became stars. The tale of this battle represents light and darkness and the internal struggle, eternal struggle of them. The fight and defeat expressing the natural cycle of life and death, including rebirth. Koyoshalki is the lunar god, an embodiment of the connection between the moon, femininity, and the natural world. Her name translates to bells her cheeks, the bells on the sides of her face being a distinguishing aspect. 
In Aztec art, she is depicted usually in the aftermath of the battle where she is decapitated and has the severed limbs. There are others that showcase the connection she holds to nature and fertility. The victor... The victory of the battle solidified Huitzilopochtli as the hero and a prominent deity, god of war and sun, symbolizing bravery, strength, and protection over the Aztec people. And he actually holds a very significant part of Mexico's history. Mexico's history. <laughs> also, a little side note. I do a lot of side notes. I think it's ADHD. Anyways, I'm going to be probably interchanging. I'm going to be interchanging Aztec and Mexica. Just FYI. Legend goes that the Mexica once lived in their version of the Garden of Eden in a place called Atzlan, the land of the white herons, which we don't know if this place actually existed or not, but you know. The legends don't provide details exactly how, but the Mexica people somehow insulted a powerful god and led to their exile of Atzlan. They leave to wander the deserts of northern Mexico, looking for a new place to call their home, and during their journey, they found the god Huitzilopochtli, hummingbird of the left. They end up carrying the hummingbird's wooden statue in this cage-like thingamabobber. They believed that their priest could speak to the figure, and the god told the priest of what to look for when they're finding their new home. And when they found this, that is where they were to build their city. According to tribal historians, this trek lasted centuries, and finally in 1325, on a muddy island in the middle of Lake Texcoco, the Aztec found what they were looking for. As Huitzilopochtli has stated, you will build your home where you see an eagle perched on a cactus eating a snake. The Aztec got to building the city that they named Place of Cactus, Tenochtitlan, present-day Mexico City. And that image of the eagle is forever marked in history on our Mexican flag. At the Museo Nacional de Antropología, the National Museum of Anthropology, in Mexico City lives a basalt statue of Kualeque. It stands about 11 and a half feet tall, 3.5 meters tall. Her statue is where we can make sense of Kualeque's name. So we had mentioned Coyosharki, meaning bells her cheeks, and then Huitzilopochtli, hummingbird of the left. Kualeque's name in Nahuatl means snakes her skirt. On the statue, there is a snake that forms the skirt. There is a human skull in the front and back like a buckle. There is no shirt or top, but there is a necklace over her chest that alternates between human hearts and hands. Where her head would be are two snakes emerging, and the way that they come together, their side profiles make it look like it's a face. So Kuatlikwe was a mother of Huizilopochtli and Koyoshalki. But there are other informations while I was researching through this that I ended up coming across there was a lot of information, but also at the same time, there wasn't that much information. And I spent several hours trying to dig up information about these Aztec gods. There was a good portion that I came across that you either had to purchase or have like a school um, email access to. And um, unfortunately, no can do right now with that. I would love to, but I can't do that in this economy. <laughs> Some of the research material that I had gone through was pretty uh, reoccurring all throughout the sources, but there was some that weren't. And so this is something that I came across and I figured it's worth mentioning at least. There is a bit of a newer-ish interpretation, newer hmm, interpretation of Kualikwe. The myth states that there were several female deities 
possibly, you know, including Kualegui too, that sacrificed themselves to put the sun in motion so that time would be allowed to continue. And with the snakes emerging from where her head would be, the snake symbolized streaming blood, which was seen as a precious fluid implying fertility. There have been several sculptures found of other female deities that have their own and different type of skirt as well. At the museum, there's another smaller sculpture of Kualegui, but with her head present versus, you know, the snakes coming out and everything. Several 16th century Spanish colonial sources list Kualegui as one of several deities that were referred to as deities related to the stars. Now this, I will 100% butcher. It is T-Z-I-T-Z-I-M-I-M-E. I have tried so many times to try to pronounce correctly, and I cannot. But that is what they were referring Kualegui and the other deities as. There were five extra quote-unquote lameness days where it was believed that these deities could come down to earth and wreak havoc. But those 16th century sources also referred to these deities as demons or devils. These deities were also patrons of midwives and they were invoked for medical help and were associated with fertility. So the sculpture of Cuatlicue was actually discovered around 1790 in Mexico City. This is also where we end up finding out about the sunstone, the Aztec calendar stone. Workers were digging a basement for a new building when they uncovered the sunstone. The Cuatlicue sculpture was supposedly so frightening to the people that they reburied her and took the sunstone with them. Tenochtitlan is a significant city in Mexico's history. This was the religious and political center to its inhabitants. There were temples here that were dedicated to some of their gods, like Cuatlicue and Huitzilopochtli. This area is also where the quote-unquote visitor, Hernán Cortés, stayed too. In 1914, anthropologist Manuel Gamio excavated and found part of Templo Mayor's location in Mexico City. However, things weren't really like, they didn't really pay too much attention to it or at that point or something like that. But later on in 1970, there were some crews digging a trench for some electrical work when they uncovered a burled temple complex and most of the Templo Mayor. Later on, in 1978, discoveries led to some of the most important findings of the 20th century, including a monolith of Coyoshalqui. The stone, showing a dismembered Coyoshalqui, was found at the base of Templo Mayor on Huitzilopochtli's side, inferring to what occurred during their battle. Tenochtitlan, present-day Mexico City, it was a religious and political center to the Aztec people, and they had temples there that were dedicated to their gods. And one of them, Huitzilopochtli, on his side, down at the base, is where they had they ended up finding that stone there. From 1978 to 1982, there were relics recovered from the Templo Mayor when it was headed by archaeologist Eduardo Matos Moctezuma. In the first excavation event, more than 7,000 relics were, were, were recovered. And on October 12, 1987, the museum, Museo del Templo Mayor, was opened. Museo del Templo Mayor and the Museo Nacional de Antropología are two separate museums. The latter was inaugurated first on September 17, 1964, and is considered one of the most important museums in not only Mexico, but of the whole world. It's home to some amazing history like that of the Maya, Teotihuacana, the Toltecs, history, and so much more. History ranging from as early as 200 BC. And if you're like me and needs to Google that, that's about over 2,000 years ago. <laughs> After getting to learn more about these gods, I wanted to know if there was any present-day depiction of them. 
There are various artists who have used the Aztec goddess Guadalupe as the source of inspiration for some of their art, like Jose Clemente Orozco, Santurino Hernán, Miguel Covarrubias, and some very well-known artists like Diego Rivera and Pablo Picasso. The photographer Manuel Álvarez Bravo had a photo titled Guadalupe, and Manuel is considered one of the 20th century's foremost representatives of world photography. At the University of Wyoming, the Department of Theater and Dance held a performance in 2022 titled Bless Me, Guadalupe, that told the story of the Chicano writer Rodolfo Anaya. One of the faculty members and the director of the play, Cecilia Aragón, is quoted saying, Guadalupe is the Aztec goddess of life and death. She is front and center in this play omnipresent throughout the protagonist's life as he comes to terms with his identity on the borderlands of many cultures. Have you heard of Gloria Anzaldúa? Or the Goyoshalki Imperative? If you hadn't, neither did I until I started looking into this. Gloria was a Chicana queer feminist who termed and developed the Goyoshalki Imperative, the continuous journey that one goes through in their life of healing from events that hurt us, dismembered us spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. I wasn't able to find when she coined the term, but it was at least in 2001 when she wrote, Let us be the healing of the wound, the Koyoshalki imperative, la sombra y el sueño. I managed to print out a snippet of this online, and I wanted to read only some of it, not all of it, but just some of it. Just a little mini trigger warning, I'm not going to be reading much when she talks about it, but she did write this after witnessing the terrorist attacks that occurred on September 11th, 2001. If you are interested in reading the whole thing, um, I can provide that information. Also, I believe that there is a book that she had that has this in there when she talks more about it. Swamped with sadness, I mourned all the dead, counted our losses, reflected on the part our country played in the tragedy and how I was personally responsible. It was difficult to acknowledge, much less express, the depth of my feelings. Instead, I lo tragué. I swallowed them. I stare up at the moon, Goyoshalki, and its light in the darkness. I seek a healing image, one that reconnects me to others. I seek the positive shadows that I've also inherited. With the imperative to speak, esta herida abierta, this open wound, before it drowns out all voices, the feelings I'd bury to begin unfurling. Runnable once more, I'm clawed by the talons of grief. I struggle to talk from the wounds gash, make sense of the deaths and destruction, and pull the pieces of my life back together. I yearn to pass on to the next generation the spiritual activism I've inherited from my culture. If I object to my government's act of war, I cannot remain silent. To do so is to be complicitous, but sadly we are all accomplices. My job as an artist is to bear witness to what haunts us, to step back and attempt to see the pattern in these events, personal and societal and how we can repair el daño, the damage, by using the imagination and its visions. I believe in the transformative power and medicine of art. As I see it, this country's real battle is with its shadow, its racism, propensity for violence, capacity for consuming, neglect of its responsibility to global communities and the environment, and the disenfranchised, especially people of color. As an artist, I feel compelled to expose this shadow side which the mainstream media and government denies. In order to understand our complicity and responsibility, we must look at the shadow. As we thrash about in our inner and external struggles, external struggling grounds, trying to get our bearings, we totter between two paths. The path of desconocimiento, ignorance, leads human consciousness into ignorance, fear, and hatred. It succumbs to righteous judgment and withdraws into separation and domination, pushing most of us into retaliatory acts 
a further rampage would beget more violence. This easier path uses force and violence to socially construct our nation. Conocimiento, knowledge, the more difficult path leads to awakening, insights, understandings, realizations, and courage, with the motivation to engage in concrete ways that have the potential to bring us into compassionate interactions. Self-righteousness creates CFS. Conocimiento, knowledge, builds bridges across it. En estos tiempos de la Llorona, in these times of la Llorona, we must use creativity to jolt us into awareness of our spiritual political problems and other major global tragedies so that we can repair el daño, the damage. The Koyoshavki imperative is to heal and achieve integration. When fragmentations occur when you fall apart and feel as though you've been expelled from paradise, Koyoshavki is my symbol for the necessary process of dismemberment and fragmentation, of seeing that self or the situations you're embroiled in differently. It is also my symbol for reconstruction and reframing, one that allows for putting the pieces together in a new way. The Goyoshalki imperative is an ongoing process of making and unmaking. There is never any resolution, just a process of healing. What we do now counts even more than the frightening event, close call, shock, violation, or loss that made cracks in our world. In estos tiempos, in these times, of loss, fear, and confusion, the human race must delve into its wells of collective wisdom, both ancient and modern. Ultimately, each of us has the potential to change the tensions of the world. And additionally to community building, we can transform our world by imagining it differently, dreaming it passionately via all our senses, and willing it into creation. As we think inspiring, positive, and life-generating thoughts and embody these thoughts in every act we perform, we can gradually change the mood of our days, the habits of years, and the beliefs of a lifetime. Changing the thoughts and ideas, the stories, we live by and their limiting beliefs, including the national narrative of supreme entitlement, will enable us to extend our hand to others con el corazón con razón en la mano, with the heart of reason in hand. Individually and collectively, we can begin to share strategies on peaceful coexistence y desparrar conocimientos and spread knowledge. Each of us can make a difference by bringing psychological understanding and using spiritual approaches and political activism. We can stop the destruction of our moral, compassionate humanity, empowered, will be motivated to organize, achieve justice, and begin to heal the world. While searching for modern-day representation, specifically of Goyashalki, I came across a dissertation that got published earlier this year by a psychology student by the name of Yoselin Tello. It's titled, A Modern-Day Goyashalki, Symbolic Dismemberment and Spiritual Activism and the Depth-Oriented Psychotherapy. Now, I didn't have access to the whole dissertation, as you have to purchase it, but I gathered some information from, from it. In the abstract, Yoselin mentions the possibility of using Koyoshalki's myth and Gloria's theory to heal psychic trauma. There isn't much research done based off of this, but basically was talking about how this would be a possible good thing to consider looking into and seeing this being used as another tool to help healing psychologically. Koyoshalki's stone was unearthed only 45 years ago, and to date, archaeologists have only found five pieces of art that depict her, the stone being the most well-preserved one. The stone brought a sense of connection to the ancestors Mexicans had before the conquistadores arrived. In 2018, the San Francisco Arts Commission Street Smarts program funded a mural on 18th and Valencia Street that features the goddess Goyoshavki. In 2007, a mural was done of Huitzilo Pochli by David Ocelotle Garcia at the Sisters of Color United for Education in Denver, Colorado. In April 2020, the building had new tenants who, 
unaware of the of its significance, decided to paint over the mural. For reasons I couldn't find, David was able to remove the paint in a process that took three weeks and with some very various areas needing to be repainted to match the original artwork. The National Trust for Historic Preservation was founded in 1949 and is a privately funded nonprofit that has released a list every year since 1988 that lists America's 11 most endangered historic places. In May 2022, it was announced that David's mural, including several others across the state of Colorado, made it onto that list. This year's list was released back in May, and for those of you in Seattle, our very own Chinatown International District made the list, making it the first neighborhood in Washington to be included on that list. I ended up skimming through since it started in 1988, and I believe this is the first time anything in Washington made it onto that list as well. This mini-sode started with me looking into Kualegue. And then from there, I ended up learning about Goyoshavki and Huisilopochtli. And I kept finding more information that the open tabs on my computer were getting a little out of hand. So I told myself, this is good information for now. If something else comes across, then I will add it later on. But I had to stop myself. <laughs> so I will end with this. In the dissertation about Yoseline, they mentioned they're Mexican-American, but never knew about Coyoshalki until adulthood. The same goes for me because the mythology I learned in school never included this. But I can tell you about like Zeus or Poseidon. Learning this history, learning about how we're related to my ancestors, I felt very excited to feel so much closer to my roots in a way, and the positive impact that this made, I was not expecting it. But I'm really glad I found into it, and it's no, it's why I know that I'm going to continue to look more into Aztec mythology and learn about what my parents probably grew up learning about, and which I should probably ask them. Like, the whole, the reason we have an eagle on the Mexican flag, I felt, uh, admittedly, I felt a little uncultured, dumb for not knowing that. But you you can't know what you don't know. And if this isn't taught to you, how are you going to know? So I'm very excited to continue learning more about this and just digging into more about anything related to being Mexican-American, Latin American, anything dating to before colonization, anything here and there in between. So if you have a topic that you think would be interesting to share, let me know. I'll probably look into it. If I made any mistakes or anything like that on any of this information here, well, please let me know. I will promptly correct myself. This is a really fun thing for me to get to learn about. And I hope that you were able to enjoy this too. Whether you it was new information or not, hopefully you enjoyed at least hearing about it. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your week, day, whatever it is that's going on. I hope you have a great day. I hope something makes you smile. And until next time, you know, maybe one of these days I'll come up with a catcher end phrase. But until then, goodbye.